So this week, I would like to look a little bit at a framework that you find in the early Buddhist tradition and later tradition. And in a way, it's kind of looking a little about the constituent of the mind or the constituent of the organism. And so that's what I want to look a little bit at, at, at during the, the week. So the, I'm going to look at five things. So tonight I'll do two, then in two days another two, and the last one at the end of the week. And so said like this is going to be a little abstract, but once I talk about it, it might make more practical sense. Because I think I also think also we can make the connection with daily life. So the five things are contact, feeling tones, attention, perception, and intention. So <laughs> this might not say very much. But personally, the more I practice and the more I find this framework quite interesting. So that's why I want to kind of explore it with you tonight. And so, because I think at each point of these five things, we can actually, there is a point of freedom. And I think that at each of these elements, we either have the possibility to grasp or the possibility to creatively engage. And it seems to me that what we're doing on such a retreat is possibly helping us to see in a stable and open manner what happens when we grasp and also to have this slight shift toward in a way more possibility for creative engagement. And so I would connect all these five very much with, in a way, the movement we can develop over time between grasping and, you could say, the other side of it, which would be creative engagement. And so, because of that, I want to look first at that. What happens when we grasp? And so, in daily life, things go quite fast. And so often we are caught before we see how we got caught. And on a retreat, that's what is kind of the adventure also to be in silence. And kind of things go a little, slightly slower. And then we can see more easily what happened when through the senses, I, I'm in contact with something. And from that often will appear a certain feeling tone of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So let's first look a little at the grasping. What happened when we grasp? And this is an interesting phenomenon. It seems to me that we are kind of like, uh, often we are sticky. Often we have this impression we are naturally sticky. Anything that happens, it's kind of like, you know, we stick to it. It's a bit like Velcro. It's kind of sticks and then it's a little tough to de-stick. And so, of course, you often have a discourse in spirituality, in Buddhism, that the idea is really no craving, no grasping. But personally, I think, First, before we do any of this kind of thing, what is interesting is what happened? How do we grasp? You know, what happened when we grasp? What is the process of grasping itself? And so, in a way, instead of saying, I'm not going to grasp, I think the first thing we need to do, and which happens often on a retreat, is you become aware, ooh, I am grasping a lot. And so the idea is not so much that we want to stop grasping, because I think as an organism, we need to grasp to some degree so that we can survive. 
But the question is, do we grasp 50% or do we grasp 95%? And I think that really makes a big difference. And it seems to me that doing a retreat is about trying to some extent to diminish the percentage, but not to eradicate it. I think it's very important this is not a practice of eradication. It's really a, a practice of exploration, of understanding. So what happens when we grasp? When we grasp, so the idea often, the way it would be presented is that, let's say we have six senses, to make it simple. If you study other scientific book, we have many, many other senses, but let's keep it simple for the retreat and go with the six. And so you have, you hear, you smell, you taste, you see, you feel with the body, you have physical sensation, and then you have thought. So in terms of Buddhism, this is a sense. And so the idea of contact is that one moment you don't have a contact with something through the senses, and the next moment you do. And when you have the contact, like let's say you see something. What I love about uh, in a way being at Gaia House is, you know, when we enter the room, we leave our shoes outside the room. And I can see myself, mm, she got the same, somebody has got the same Chinese shoes than me. Ooh, you know, where did she or he get them? Oh, I see some sandals. Mmm, nice sandals. Oh, weird shoes. So in a way, you actually have about, you know, 50 different pair of shoes. And you might go past and shoes, who cares? So then, in a way, the contact will be very brief. Or you might see them, and what do you do? Do you just look at them totally impartially, Every shoe is the same as the other. Or do you start to have, in a way, what we'll talk later about, attention? So you focus on one more than another. Perception. And then, of course, intention. What do you do from that? But let's stay with the contact. So you see something. So you could see it and not do anything with it. But a lot of the time, when we come in contact, we see something, and it's, hmm, I want one of those. So generally, with the grasping, you will have identification in terms of I, me, mine. This is about me. I want this for myself. And so I think it's very important to see that when we grasp, immediately you have this phenomenon of identification about me and mine. So in a way, grasping is immediately, in a way, linking with self-centeredness. So we kind of appropriate it in a certain way. We want to make it ours, or we want to make it about me, about my experience, or whatever it might be. So to see that so you grasp, you identify, and as you identify and grasp, generally you limit yourself around what you grasp at. This is one thing that we have to see, that actually when we grasp at something, we are actually limiting our vision. We are limiting the focus. And so in a way, it's nearly like we become stuck to what we grasp at. So it limits. But then what's strange is there is that effect that you limit yourself to it, you solidify around it, and then you amplify. And to me, this is one of the, nearly like I could say, a signal of grasping, even more so than identifying, is the fact that we amplify. When we grasp, we generally either amplify meaning that either we proliferate with it or we exaggerate. 
And what is important to see that we can do it in a positive manner, I want this, or we can do it in a way in a negative manner, I hate this, I don't want it, and you push it away. But in both sides, you will have this amplification effect. And I would say that's one of the main difficulties. So when we grasp at something we see, something we hear, I mean, this is interesting. You sit in meditation. I hope that you are relatively okay sitting in meditation. And then you remember something somebody said a year ago. I mean, what was it? It was a few words. And at one level, you could say, it's gone. I mean, if you, it was a sonorous wave, and then it had maybe a few seconds, and then it's gone. It's really gone. And so this thing, which is very intangible, often in Buddhism they talk of emptiness. This is kind of empty in so far that it arose, it stayed a little bit, and it's gone. And it's not like kind of like something you can grasp at, in a way you could say, because it's empty space. But then you sit in meditation and you think, he said this, she said that, how could they? And it totally changed the way you feel now. Though the person is not there whatsoever. And with that, what they said, you can go into a lot of proliferation. You can actually sit there and look kind of totally beautiful, calm and everything, and being plotting revenge, you know? Next time I see them, and I'll say that, or whatever it is. Interesting. In a way, there is just a contact with some words. They're gone. But just, in a way, the memory of it, attached to it, and that's what, where it comes in, the feeling tone is unpleasant. And the two together, then, you have this proliferation. And then you can either go in the past and accumulate things in the past, or you can go in the future and accumulate things in the future. So in a way, to see that, it's not that grasping is bad per se, but if we grasp upon contact, what happens? And how it becomes problematic? with this amplifying effect or exaggerating effect. Like, and one of the exaggerating effects we have is it's always like this. This is an interesting effect, that something happens generally because of certain conditions, but very quickly will go always like this, it's never right, or I can never do this. I mean, after a two day of meditation, I don't know how you feel. <laughs> and how you imagine, I don't know what kind of forecasting you've done over the last two days about what's going to happen with the next four full days. You know, am I going to be asleep the whole time? What's the point? If it's so painful, I'll never be able to walk again. Or my thought, they'll never stop. And so, in a way, when we grasp, there is that exaggerating effect, which makes it more difficult to creatively engage. And so, in a way, what the meditation is about is in a way creating some space. So that then, instead of grasping, identifying, limiting, solidifying, amplifying, we come into contact, but we creatively engage with it. 
by trying not to identify, by not being limited, but seeing it in its context. And that's why, in terms of the meditation, it's so important in a way to come back, the coming back. What is a coming back about? Coming back to the breath, coming back to the body. Tomorrow we'll do listening meditation, coming back to listening to the sound. That when you come back to the anchor, you come back to the whole experience. So you will come back to a bigger perspective. And so if you have a bigger perspective, you can have creative engagement. If you have grasping, generally what you will have is a very small perspective and also a strangely amplified, is a forecast in the future or associated in the past. And often little to do with the conditions, this experience right now. So in a way, one of the function, I would say, of creative engagement is to bring us back to the condition now. What is happening now? How can I creatively engage with the condition now? And so I would say this idea about contact and feeling Tony saying, oh, at this point, when I'm in contact, there is that moment. You could say, of choice. Do I grasp upon contact or do I creatively engage? And then, of course, we can do this through a thought. I mean, this is, again, very, so interesting. I'm sure that over the last two days, you've had lots of thoughts, very likely, of all kinds. And what is a thought? A thought is a little firing in the brain. It's a little bit of electricity. And so it's kind of like, you know, one moment you don't have the thought, and next, it's there. I have to do this. They did this. I am terrible. I am fantastic. I want this. Why can't I have that? Or just a, a memory or just an image. And so, in a way, when all of these arise, do we just stay with them? Like, oh, this is contact with a thought. Hmm? Or immediately, this is about me. And then we go into the story. Because of a lot of the thought we have I feel is about selfing. But the question, it seems to me, is do we need to self as much as we do to exist? I mean, I know <laughs> Descartes, French person, say, I think, therefore I am. But do, does our existence reside just in our thinking? Or does our existence reside in the fact that this organism has different function and encounters all this condition outside? And out of that, we are existing. So, of course, the thought, the mind, participate in that. But it seems to me that when we do meditation, of course, at the beginning, we see all these thoughts, and we think, all these thoughts. When I first realized, I mean, it took me to the second retreat in Korea. I mean, Korea, you, you do long retreats. And so the second retreat, in the middle of it, suddenly I saw my thought. And they were not what I thought I was. It was very interesting what was shocking to me in seeing my thought is that when I really saw them clearly, they did not correspond to the image I had of myself. Because up to that moment, I thought I was this incredibly compassionate person who thought about others before 
herself. From a young age, I wanted to save the world. And so in a way, there is this strong identity of being kind of for others without any pragmatic demonstration, but that's what I thought. That's the way I kind of partly identified. And what was interesting when, when I thought what I was thinking, when I saw it clearly, it was all about me. I mean, I, I could see all this train of thought and stories, and it was all about me. And very little about others. And I thought, ah, that's what's going on. I was not upset, but I was clear about what was going on, when before I was really, I would say, in the dark. So in a way, the thought, I think a lot of the thought is about this kind of selfing, identifying, existing, thinking that the more I think about myself, the more I exist in a strange way. There is this mechanism, strange mechanism. And it seems to me that the meditation, actually by starting to make seeing the contact, ah, this is just a thought. I can continue with it or not. At the beginning, it's really tough because you just go for it. You just go with it because, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this is a building. This is a story. This is a... But over time, you realize, maybe I don't need to think this right now. It doesn't mean I cannot think it forever. But right now, possibly I don't need to plan this for the 50th time. Or I don't need to improve my revenge for the 10th time. <laughs> or I don't need to daydream about saving the world for the 100th time. And so it's kind of to see, oh, yeah. And to me, that's, in a way, one of the gifts of meditation. And they observed this a little. Recently, they did some research with meditation and uh, the default network and things of that nature. And they saw that with uh, people who had meditated a long time, generally, they did not have this whole, what I would call, unnecessary selfing stuff. It just goes over time. And what we left with actually is with the creative functioning of thinking. So we're not trying to stop thinking. But in a way, it's kind of like over time, not magnifying, amplifying by grasping at this selfing that we don't really need, which then will allow for the creating functioning of thinking to operate in a much better way. Then another thing you can really play with is in the walking, visual contact. You see something. What do we do? We see a tree. We see a bird. We see a car. We see a person. What do we do when what we, we see? And what we see around here are fairly tame. I mean, when you are in London or in a big city, I love to go to Oxford Street, and then you have all these shops and all these things. And it's fascinating. When I stopped for 10 years, I was a nun. So for 10 years, I really needed very little, and I did not do any shopping. And then I stopped being a nun, and then I had to do some shopping. And then the difference was phenomenal. I would be like, mm. I kind of like, I could see the contact. You know, I would see some shops did not do anything for me, but some was like, wow. You know, so I would see the contact, and then I would see the grasping. Mm. I went one of these. Then I would see the plotting. <laughs> it was very, to get it. And then finally I would get it. And nearly immediately, something else would come up for the grasping to attach to. It was fascinating to watch, because I had not done it for so long. It was very interesting to see what happened when we see something. And so in a way, for you to explore as you're around here. 
So what we're saying is not stop seeing. We're not saying that at all. What is the difference between grasping, wanting something for myself, and creatively engaging? <laughs> and creatively engaging is actually imbued with the appreciative joy. To me, this is what a little goes. You know, you, you want something, you get it, and actually the fun doesn't last very long generally. And then you want the next thing and the next thing. And here, in a way, we have the opportunity to actually, how does it feel to creatively engage, to really see something for itself and not to see something for myself? I'm not saying that we do that all the time in daily life. Of course, we have to take care of ourselves and think of that nature. But on a retreat, we can explore. How can I see things as they appear, as they arise? Seeing a different lighting, the different odors, the different thing connected to them. And what happened upon contact? I mean, one very, I mean, we are quite a few people, and most of you are using the same bathroom. And then you have a very interesting contact, you know. Are you going to go into the bathroom and it doesn't smell anything and there is nothing untowards in any way? Or, mmm, something did not really get flushed because, da 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 da. Mmm. What do I do? You know, what happens? That it be something beautiful, that it be something unpleasant. When I come into contact, what happens? And also, all of us here, as we are in the silence, we don't know each other. So very often we see somebody and you have a whole story made up, you know? And often, you know, you kind of involve yourself in it in some ways. That's why it's so good to talk at the end and see the story was not like that. Recently, we were doing some exercise at a teacher gathering. Very interesting. And so there was this exercise between me and another lady who was from California. And we had to say, you know, three things we assume about the other. And it was very interesting what she assumed about me, because she assumed uh, that I would be wealthy. Uh, she assumed that I would have done, uh, uh, I had like uh, been to university, and I can't remember the third one. But the first two were not actually accurate. I have never been to university, and I live okay, but I would not say I am uh, wealthy. So it was very interesting. Like she saw me, she did not know me, but immediately she assumed that because of different things. So it's interesting what we assume about others. We see them, and then we look more at that when we talk about perception. So visual contact, what happened? Same with the food. Here, you know, you have uh, these meals, and you see, and you think, hmm. That's going to be good, or I don't know about this. And often, I mean, sometimes you don't have the taste you assume. Sometimes I, uh, you know, I get something and then I think, hmm, what? It's really not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so, again, all the visual contact in many different ways. Don't, don't make it complicated, but make it fun. Like you have contact with something, a color, a shape, a person. Do I grasp or do I creatively engage? How does it feel to grasp? How does it feel to creatively engage? So playing with that. Also, you have the sounds. Here we have kind of sound of the birds. In the last two days, we have had a strange sound, sound like gunshots. I hope it's not, but that's what it sounds like. And you hear it and think, wait a minute, you know. And so, you know, we have different sounds, people coughing or moving or things like that. What happens? Can we just hear a sound? 
Do we grasp at it and then do we amplify, proliferate, exaggerate around it? Or do we just hear it? It appears, it's a while, and it goes. So just being aware of the sound. Or the sensations. I mean, that, especially for those who are sitting on the floor, very likely you have had all kinds of sensations. And so what do I do with the sensation? You might have pleasant sensation of heat or cold, or you might have, you know, painful sensation. And so if I grasp, it's interesting, if I grasp and amplify, often it will be more there for longer. If I creatively engage, it doesn't mean that you stay with the pain. You can move, you can sit on a chair. But it's very interesting when we have some kind of, you know, strong sensation, what do we do with it? Do we amplify? Do we creatively engage? And that I think this is something we can really do on a retreat because we sit still more in a certain way than we would do otherwise. Or when we walk, when we do the walking meditation, how does that feel? physically? How do we relate to that? Do we want to walk forever because it's so great? Or do we want to sit forever because it feels so good? It's the same. And this in a way brings me to the third element of this talk, which is feeling taught. And so, feeling tones, this is an idea which I think is really useful, very important. And so we'll try to do a little bit of it tomorrow. I will explain it more in the instructions. But just to start with, to look what the idea is about, is that upon contact, through the senses, immediately, and it's just a functioning of the organism, there is a feeling tone. There is like a tonality of experience, which is either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither, which we'll call neutral. And here, there is a great opportunity to grasp. And we generally grasp very fast. And to me, this is one of the really important elements, is can I creatively engage with the feeling tone over time. And I think that's what really the meditation is about. The path is about is how can I be with the feeling tone without reacting and grasping and amplifying so fast. And we can see this very easily with the food. You serve yourself some food and you taste it. And if it tastes nice, mm, immediately you want more. And so you barely finish, I mean, you're not even started, barely started your plate. You're already thinking, I hope there'll be some left and I can get more. It's like, you know, when you start with some a piece of chocolate cake, you barely started, mm, and you're already thinking of eating more when you've not finished already the slice you have. And so it's kind of like when we, something is pleasant, you want more. And also you want to repeat the experience. And so I had a great fun recently. I was in Austria and I was in Vienna and our friend said, oh, we could go to eat in this place, simple, but they have some nice dish. And there was. Chanterelle, it's a type of mushroom, little kind of trumpet, orange, yellow mushroom, which I love, like very much. So I had this plate of mushroom, of chanterelle, Ooh, it was fantastic. So while I was eating it, I really had a very pleasant experience, I would say plus eight, pleasant number eight. <laughs> then once I stopped, just thinking about having eaten it, I still had pleasant number seven for a little bit. 
So what is also interesting is how the feeling tone can change in many different ways and how it can continue also in different ways. So what do I decide to do? This was as an experiment to prove a point. The next day, I go to the same restaurant at the same time, order the same plate of chanterelle. And it was pleasant number three. And this is a thing that sometimes we grasp at the newness of the experience. So in a way, what we're grasping at is a contrast. I had not had chanterelle like that for years. So having not had them, and to have them, it was like, wow, this is fantastic. But then, very quickly, I have them again. And then you don't have the contrast. I actually just have the contrast with number eight pleasant. And it's very hard to keep number eight pleasant with the same thing. But what was interesting, so I, you know, I ate my chanterelle and I observed the feeling tone because that's what I was playing with. And then after I had eaten them, I checked the memory. And actually now the memory was tainted by number three pleasant. And it was not as good as the day before. And so this is what is interesting with the feeling tone, is how it's very shifty. But we can get caught in the experience very easily. So we can generally, we want to repeat it, we want more of it, we want to recreate it exactly, but we generally cannot because the the conditions are going to be a little different. So in a way, to notice, there is kind of like a pleasant feeling tone back to appreciative joy the first day. Creative engagement with pleasant feeling tone is, can I enjoy it while it lasts? Knowing it's going to stop. And at the same time, being careful of trying to recreate exactly the same. It doesn't mean I cannot create another one, but I cannot recreate exactly the same. So really being careful there. Then you have the unpleasant feeling tone. And the problem with unpleasant feeling tone is that we really have a strong reaction to it. We don't like it, it's not pleasant, fair enough, we don't want it, so we go into this exaggeration in reverse. And through that, we have a tendency to amplify it. Also, what is difficult with unpleasant feeling torn is the fact that immediately we associate it with other unpleasant feeling torn in the past, and we forecast unpleasant feeling torn in the future. So we amplify unpleasant feeling tone very fast. And that's why I think one of the part of the creative engagement is in a way, how can I be with the unpleasant feeling tone? I mean, do something about it if I need to. Like if you're in great pain, take a painkiller and hopefully it will pass. I'm not saying, you know, unpleasant feeling tone, unpleasant <laughs> to just be with it. But it's interesting to see, what do I do? Can I just be with it? And notice, how long does it last? To me, that's what I find, that's why I do a lot of exploration with, is that if there is an unpleasant feeling tone, how long does it last? And if it doesn't, if you just stay with it, if you don't grasp at it, a lot of the time, actually, it goes relatively fast. But then you can observe. Sometimes something happens with somebody, or you think, hmm. And you know, like recently, something happened with Steven. And I thought, hmm. 
So I was literally in a bad mood. Mm. But I just observed it. And it lasted 30 minutes. And then it was gone. And I did not have to address it, because it was just this happened, that happened, you say this, you misunderstand that, and so be it. It was all about a shutter. <laughs> I told him to close a shutter because I could not do it because I did not have the strength. It's an old shutter. It actually opened it. Because he assumed I did not mean what I meant. <laughs> so I said, wait a minute. <laughs> perception, this was a very interesting case of perception and assumptions through perception. And this is interesting. Like now I think about the thing and I think it's funny. But sometimes something happened with somebody and you keep it, you grasp at it. And whenever you see that person, you see that person in connection, for example, to the shutter. They did this, they say that, they will always be like this. This is again perception. It's interesting what perception does there. And to me, this is what is very interesting to see how long does the unpleasant feeling don't last. If it goes within a few minutes, an hour, generally I would say let it go. If it continues, then you have to address it. So creative engagement is not saying nothing is going on. It's saying if it doesn't last very long, maybe I don't do have to do very much, but if it really lasts, maybe I have to address a situation. And how can I address this situation? Then you have the neutral feeling too. And this is what tomorrow, if you try to do this meditation, you might most of the time, that's what you will experience, especially on a retreat. Generally, not much is happening. And there is a lot of this feeling tone, the neutral feeling tone, in terms of looking at it from a Buddhist point of view. People have very different ideas about it. And so this is kind of a work in progress. Personally, I think it's very interesting to be aware of it, Stephen thinks it doesn't exist. A friend of mine thinks it's indifference. Another one thinks it's indeterminate. And somebody else thinks it's a beginning of equanimity. So this is still a work in progress, this neutral feeling tone. But personally, I think it's important to know it because personally, I think it's like a baseline. That actually, it seems to me that in terms of this organism, this human organism interacting with the condition, external condition, then we go up, various pleasant feeling tone, we go down, various unpleasant feeling tone, and possibly the baseline is neutral. So we go up and we go down, but at some point, it's helpful for the organism to be in neutral, just as a resting state in a way. But if we think that the baseline is pleasant number five, then we have more to go down and less to go up. Or if we feel that the baseline is minus unpleasant, is unpleasant number five, this is tricky because then your, your baseline is very low is very unpleasant. And so what is important is to bring it back in the neutral. And so that's why I think, in a way, what is interesting when we are around here to see, it's neutral. Nothing is happening. At least nothing bad is happening. It's already something. And there is a quotation which says, from the time of the Buddha, from a nun, if we do not understand neutral feeling tone, it can become unpleasant. If we understand neutral feeling tone, it can become pleasant. And so this is what 
is kind of fascinating about that tonality, is that it can shift according to our relationship to it. And so we'd say if we grasp at it, a lot of the time we will amplify it generally toward the unpleasant. If we associate neutral with it's boring, I am boring, my life is boring, and then psh, off you go. Or personally, when nothing is happening and it's neutral, I think, oh, this is restful. This is peaceful. So this is something possibly also to explore tomorrow. How can I creatively engage with this neutral feeling tone? So that's what I wanted to say tonight. So we have a little um, time for um, some questions or comments, if there are any. So the way I see the, the creative engagement is that if there is very little grasping or no grasping, then in a way there is space. A space is created. And then from that space, your creative potential can engage with what is going on. So, and I would say that the creative engagement can have two aspects. One is acceptance. Sometimes the transformation happens just in the acceptance of what has happened, what we are in contact with, what kind of feeling tone we're experiencing. And sometimes the creative engagement is about transformation. So this is happening, this is going on. How can I creatively engage with that, which means doing something. Because often I have the feeling, that's why I don't use the word non-attachment or detachment. Because it seems to imply the kind of sort of emptiness, a sort of non-doing, not doing anything. Which to me is a way is passive. And I don't think that's what happened. I think if the grasping disappear, actually you have lots of creativity it seems to me creativity comes up. So there is this creative movement. But of course, the creative movement can be accepting or can be transforming in doing something. And that will very much depend on the condition. Yes. I'm puzzling a bit about the word grasping because um, it seems as though it's sort of a bad thing, the way you've presented it. But there must be, and what I'm thinking about is two things. One is Blake's poem about grasping joy as it flies, mm -hmm. which is a bit like, you know, enjoying the moment. And then I'm thinking about a small child running in the road when you grasp them mm -hmm. and bring them back to safety. Mm -hmm. That's, those seem to be other sorts of grasping. No, 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 it's true that in a way, that's why I'm saying that in a way we're not going, this is not an eradication of grasping, but we try in a way in order to survive, in order to, for our friend, our family to survive, the child on the road to survive, there need to be some grasping, you know, just for us to survive, we need to grasp to a certain degree. But the question is, what is going to be the percentage? Is it going to be 50%? So in a way, I am as important as a child. The child is as important as me. The sunset is important as I am important. Or is a child just important for me? Or is a sunset just important for me? I think they are, in a way, different degree. 
of grasping. Like you can grasp to a child, and by grasping the child, you could actually stop the child to grow. I mean, you have the child on the road, you could just save the child, or you could bury the child for two weeks. You know, you were on the road, this was terrible, I was so frightened, and you nearly killed me, or whatever like that. So, in a way, you could take care of the child. You could talk about taking care, caring for oneself, caring for others, and when does the caring for self go into grasping, or the caring for others go into grasping? And so I would say the signal for the grasping instead of the creative engagement would be if there is this proliferation, amplification, exaggeration. To me, that would be generally the signal. So then it's back to the mudita, appreciative joy. So we have this beautiful sunset. The question is, can I see it? Or I see the sunset and I think, where is my camera? I must make the best sunset in the universe to put it on Instagram. And I get all tense about taking the picture. Then I put it in Instagram and I only get three likes. <laughs> and I think, Or, I see the sunset, I really enjoy it, think, hmm, I could take a picture. But not kind of making it into this big amplifying thing. You take the picture, you put it on Instagram with all the other sunset pictures. <laughs> and why not? And some people might enjoy it. Can you see what I'm trying to say? So it's kind of the difference between, you can see, there is like, a, to me it's kind of like there is a signaling. The grasping generally limits, exaggerate, amplify, also lots of abstraction around it. And the creative engagement is actually being able to do what we did yesterday, appreciating. Appreciating knowing the sunset will go, but let's enjoy it while it lasts. Let's be there while it is there. And the same with the child. Let's save the child now, but there is no guarantee that another day you will be on the road and you might not be there. You can try to be there, but should you stay on the road the whole time, day and night? You see, it's kind of, what do you do with the experience? That's what I meant. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.